Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 48 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb, and we'll be joined by my brother Joshua in just a few moments as we have something really special on tonight's podcast. We are going to sit down with Mr. Jacob Rash of the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission. Jacob is a trout biologist. He studies trout and their habitat and does a lot of work with the NCWRC. And we thought it was time to have him on the pod and learn a little bit more about trout and all things fishing. So we ask a lot of questions about trout, about the places they live, and what we can do to protect the species that we love so much. But before we dive into that interview, we just want to thank everyone who continues to listen. We are officially in year two of the podcast. That is so crazy and hard for us to believe that it has already been a year since we kicked this thing off. And so we're excited about some stuff coming up in the future. We hope to do a review of our first year in podcasting. And again, we just can't thank you all for continuing to get the word out. Uh, Ratings and reviews goes a long way. So if you can leave us a message, shoot us a review. Uh, Mr. Mikey from West Virginia left us a five-star review recently and said, came across this podcast a few weeks ago i'm currently completely caught up listened to and from work even private messaged a question and was answered with great info if you love fly fishing christ and your children this is the place to be mikey we can't appreciate that enough and thank you to all who continue to rate and review and share the podcast with a friend well we're going to dive into our interview with mr jacob rash of north carolina wildlife resource commission but first a word from our sponsors the dads on the fly podcast is brought to you by sly fishing outfitters Sly Fishing Outfitters is a Massachusetts-based fly fishing company on a mission to protect you and your gear from the elements. They have full-length fly fishing rod socks and gear. Make sure and check them out at slyfishingoutfitters.com. All right, Caleb. So tonight, here we sit with a uh, very special guest, man. One thing we talk about in this podcast a lot is how much you and I are blessed to live where we live. Um, you know, we have people who reach out to us from across the country, and we just say, look, something about North Carolina waters that, that we love, and we have so much water right here for us. So we thought it was time. Uh, here we are in year two of the podcast, man. Thought it was time to have a, a guest from North Carolina Wildlife. And so tonight, join us, Mr. Jacob Rash, the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission Cold Water Research Coordinator. Wow, it's a big, a lot of words there for me to get out. But uh, Mr. Jacob, man, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you. Oh gosh, thank you. I really appreciate y'all having me. And, and sorry you had to work through that title, but, but it, it's all it's all up from here. So thank you. Sounds great, man. Well, Jacob, we really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to be with us. Uh, we know you're busy. So tell us a little bit about what does that mean, cold water research coordinator? What exactly does that mean for you? What do you do on a daily, monthly, annual basis for the state of North Carolina? Yeah, sure. If you if, to to boil it down in the simplest form is, you know, I get to work with trout. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and so for for North Carolina, you know, just just like you mentioned on the on the 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 intro there. I mean, we're just so lucky to be where we are uh, in this state, and and you know, of course, being biased, being being here in the in the western part of the state where we've got our mountains, um, that's where I get to do my work. And so, working with the trout resources across Western North Carolina, um, which is is working with the the fish themselves, that's working with the places that they live, their habitat. And it's and it's working with the anglers. And so my my job as a as a as a fisheries biologist is really getting to work with those three elements: the fish, the habitat, and the and the people, in various different ways. Uh, how they intersect? It may just be one or two. It could be all three. And 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 again, um, working with the the Wildlife Resources Commission, uh, we're working to manage those those public fisheries that are that are here and those range from you know stockfish to to wild naturally reproducing fish and including you know native brook trout that live high up on our on our mountains so basically um getting getting to be involved with anything that kind of has to do with with trout and uh you know and i and i 
usually tell folks I'm I'm really lucky to be doing that because uh, growing up in, in North Carolina and, and loving to fish, you know, with my job, I'm I'm lucky that I I'm either touching or or thinking about a fish, you know, all day. So and uh, we're we're lucky. thinking about a fish most days, but we're not out there with them. Um, so you you mentioned something there. I want to go into you, you're from north carolina correct did you, did you grow up here i am i am i grew up in the piedmont of uh of north carolina and and uh but my family's from uh up in the high country up in ash ash county so i spent you know childhood going up there and and uh splashing around the new river playing around in creeks and and you know and to be honest one of my career goals was to sample the stream that I grew up catching crawdads in as a as a kid, and and turns out there's there's native brook trout in it, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I knocked that one out pretty early, uh, but but so it's been building uh, building on things since then. But uh, even as a little kid, I was just obsessed and had had my hands ahead in the water, and uh, it's pretty cool to be able to come back and look at those those streams. So, yeah, we'd love to hear a little more about your story. You know, growing up in North Carolina, you said from Piedmont, but coming to Ash County, you became a fly angler as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I was fortunate in my life to have um, a lot of great influences. And uh, from uh, I had a growing up a great aunt that that lived across the road and and we would go um, hit these these Piedmont streams and catch chubs with a with a cane pole right and 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 i was lucky enough to spend time with a great grandpa who was obsessed with fishing um you know he was a you know in fact on his uh his tombstone it's i remember this and this is not going to be a morbid morbid turn but it's i think it's pretty cool he was a barber so it says barber by trade fisherman at heart and and then of course my dad just a tremendous angler outdoorsman just a just a you know a significant influence and and growing up you know we fished for everything um fishing at the coast off piers getting on boats hunting king mackerel hunting striped bass um hitting hitting the rivers for uh for smallmouth and then um and then of course you know chasing chasing trout around too so along the way i got exposed to all sorts of different different ways to 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 catch fish and uh and and fly fishing was definitely a big part of that um okay so i always have to ask this question to uh most of our guests when was the first time you you held a fly rod man like i'm sure was some of that fishing conventional tackle or you know, you're probably doing a little bit of both. Maybe still do a little both, but we always like oh, to know yeah. when everybody first got that fly rod in their hand. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, somebody, well, people always ask, uh, you know, what what type of, of angler are you? And, and I usually start by saying, well, I just like to catch fish. <laughs> and so um, I, I still use, I still use it all. And uh, from, from a bait caster to, to anything on a spinning rod, but uh the fly rod, my first, I was, I was probably, I was probably 12. Okay. And throw, and throwing big popping bugs for bass and farm ponds. That's, that's kind of where I started to learn. Cause I had enough room to mess up. Right. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get in a, in a, in the trees or anything and I couldn't hook any, hurt anybody. So they, they set me out there and I got to practice and, uh, really, uh, that's that's where I started kind of learning learning how to learning how to use uh, use a fly rod and I still like to do that today when I can. Awesome. So you you know you grew up sounds like in a fishy family. We like to say, we would say that call that a fishy family for sure. And uh, at what point uh, I don't know did, in high school was there a point where you were like hey I'm going to be a, a fish biologist I'm going to go to school to did that just click with you like you were that interested in in that kind of line of work. Uh, it, it took me till I was in college. Um, I was, uh, I was, I was set on being an athletic trainer because, uh, growing up playing sports, um, I was hurt all the time. 
and so uh <laughs> and so and so being hurt uh i i got uh got exposed to you know to orthopedic surgeons and that sort of thing and i was obsessed with sports and and i was thinking of a way you know kind of you know figuring i'm not going to make it make it pro i was trying to think of a way to be involved with with sports and so i went to nc state to uh you know attract uh ultimately leading me towards being an athletic trainer and then i started taking all these um natural resource classes as electives and then i realized oh man like this is a this is a thing this is a career that that i could potentially do and and it just it just fell into place and from from nc state uh went on and did a little more schooling at uh at virginia tech and and just sort of submitted submitted my you know desire to 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 work with fish and work with people that that care about them it's awesome you've been so cold water research coordinator how how long have you uh held that title um a little over we're coming up on 12 years actually so it's been it's been a while yeah yeah, that would be it's been that would be mine and Caleb's entire uh, fly fishing experience in North Carolina. Caleb moved here how many years ago, man? Right about twelve, right, right, uh, yeah. eleven. Yeah, yeah. I've been here for fifteen. My uh, I was we were fortunate enough that my wife is from the big town of Canton right here, which I'm sure you're familiar with Canton, and uh, and uh, we lived here ever since. And we picked up a fly rod about about ten years ago now, and uh, and we've never turned back. And you know, one one thing we. Uh, we just fell in love with, with the water here. Um, I know we're going to talk about that here in a minute, some of the, some of the specifics of the water. But So on a, on a day, it's probably not one thing you could answer this question, but on a weekly basis, maybe, what does your days look like? Are you, are you out in the water a lot? Or are, you, are you dealing with people more? Or Yeah, um, my job is really special because I, I, I really get to do both. Um, you know, I, I mentioned – you know, a few, a few minutes ago, getting to work with people who care about, you know, the fish and the waters and, 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 and that's what anglers are. I mean, they're, they're passionate enough and, and, and committed enough to get out and do it. Um, and I mean, they might even have podcasts, uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> run, it, it runs, it yeah. runs the spectrum, but it's awesome. They get so addictive. Yeah. I don't yes. think you've listened. If you listen to enough of our podcast, you'll find out we're much better at talking than we are probably at being anglers. Or fi- yeah, then, um, like much better at talking than fishing. Then, then you're, then you're the perfect fisherman, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. You guys have nailed it. Um, you haven't pulled a ruler out or showed me with your hands how big fish are <laughs> yet, but we'll we'll get to that later. No, we've kind of entered into that stage. We talk about this all the time. Of, um, I've got a ten year old son who's just started getting out with me. We're actually going again this weekend, and Caleb and I've sort of talk about. Um, there was a great blog post that um, somebody wrote, and I can't remember it right now. But the what was it, Caleb? The how the the fish fisherman the evolution of the, the evolution fly of a fly angler, <laughs> and you know, at first you're counting numbers and. And we've kind of big fish. We've kind of entered into that stage of where we just enjoy being able like to spend going. two or three hours out there. That's kind of where we are right now. That that that's a hundred percent where 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 I'm at. Um, you know, there's that that's exactly it. Um, and you know, thinking about the ability to go. Um, there's a there's a book, San County Almanac, that Otto Leopold wrote, which is kind of the foundational book for natural resource management and there's a quote in there where he talks about you know it's not the size of the catch but the opportunity and that's that's very much how i try to think about fishing because just the chance to go is is special for sure and And those people that you get to go with we talk about that a lot just being with those people you get to go with yeah yeah for sure i uh, those memories and and uh that's that's what it's all about so uh and i'm I'm not dodging your question about what i actually do uh <laughs> for a living but but uh but it but it but it's it's you know getting to talk to to folks and understanding what their interests are um and also you know the work we do you know trying to manage you know there's there's roughly 5400 miles of water and wow 2,600 acres in our public mountain trout waters program. And, and that's really diverse. Uh, and so uh, we do a lot of research. 
trying to answer specific questions. Uh, a lot of research with the fish and with people, with our anglers. Um, and so I, I do get the chance to, to be out in the field doing the sampling, you know, touching the fish, talking to the people. And then also, you know, uh, like, like most folks, I, I get my fair amount of, uh, of screen time too, which, which is, which is totally fine and enjoy that part of it too. So it's a, it's a mix. So what questions are you guys asking currently and uh, what's kind of, where's your research mainly focused right now? Well, um, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, we, you know, again, with the diversity, there's so much going on and, and, and so y'all stop me if I start rambling and going down these nerd, trails. Nerd out on so. us. We would love that. Go ahead. Please. <laughs> All right. Because that's what I'm going right. to do. I want to learn about trout and what you guys are doing. And yeah, we have a feeling the, the last half. Sorry, folks. The rest of this podcast is going to probably be geeking out really geeky trout. for us <laughs> trout anglers. So we're ready. Well, all right. Well, well, technically you brought it on yourself. You asked <laughs> I'm me ready. There we go. talking about trout. So, but, uh, and, and so the way that, that we, um, uh, sort of break up the western half of the state. We've got three different d districts that that have different staff and biologists. And then they, you can imagine how kind of different those waters are if you're moving from the far west to the tip of North Carolina, um, you know, that part over by Tennessee and Georgia, all the way up to the to the northeastern part of the mountains, which is that that area that kind of borders Tennessee and Virginia. And so there's, there's different sort of issues that are, that are at play. Um, and so, um, we may have different, different streams that we're researching or, or different regulations, uh, that we may think about, uh, applying somewhere. Uh, but we're working with those staff to, to come up with, with the things we need to research. And so some of the big ones that we're doing across, across the region, um, you know, we do a lot of work with brook trout. As our only native fish, we do do a lot of work to try to conserve those, and and we want to make sure that we're doing you know a good enough job that we've got fishable populations for folks. And and so that work spans from finding them. Uh, it's unbelievable, but we find new populations every year. Mm. Uh, we've got staff that that really work on that. Do uh, no, just want to interrupt right there. Do anglers help sure. you with that? Any like, does that does ever yes. happen where like, hey, we fish this stream, there were brook trout there? Is there is that something you guys sometimes, 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 uh, a lot of the ones that are really accessible, we've we've probably sampled and have a good a good handle on, but there are some that are pretty remote, and you keep climbing and climbing up the mountain, and you end up running into fish, and in general. You know, most of our brook trout are over about 3,000 feet in elevation. So you're climbing. But, um, excuse me, the anglers, anglers play a pivotal role because they're out there on the water. And there's so many eyes and they're seeing things. And, in fact, um, one of the things that we worked on quite a bit over the last, you know, five-plus years are, are fish health issues. And with gill ice and, and whirling disease, and, and each of those things, um, you know, an angler was somewhere and saw something odd and let us know. And then we could go out and sample and, and work with other partners. And then, and then from there, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, morph into some, some research projects to continue to learn more. I'm just taking notes as you say these things because you're, you're saying something that brings me a new question I wasn't planning on asking. So I want to hit that real quick, and it may, hopefully it could be real quick. I don't know, maybe... What can we do as anglers for some of those those health issues of the, of the places we fish? So if I'm an angler and I'm I'm going out to a stream, um, you know, weekly, monthly, wherever, you know, somebody like me and Caleb, we're fishing, you know, a couple times a month, sometimes more. What can I do on my end? Um, the 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 most basic things that that can be done are. Um, it's called, uh, we, we, we've termed it clean, drain, dry, never move. And so clean your gear as best you can before you go to another body of water. Let it dry if you can. And so that way you're not moving any mud, any animals or water droplets that might be there. You're letting it dry. 
again, we're not moving water or anything alive, hopefully. Drain, if you got a boat, you're not moving actual water between places because a lot of the stuff we're talking about is microscopic, so you, you might not see it. And then never move, That's and that's really the big one, is don't move fish between bodies of water, don't move crayfish, don't move plants, and because there's this whole group of things, you know, called aquatic nuisance species, which that's what they are, they're nuisance, because they're coming from somewhere else and and they're and they might end up where they shouldn't be and they can cause you know oftentimes you know uh irreversible harm and so and and folks can also go to our our website ncwildlife.org slash trout and there's a there's a section on there that that talks about aquatic nuisance species and some of the simple things that that you can do you mentioned the the gill lice and the whirling disease. Have we started to see that in North Carolina more recently? Um, so back in uh, around 2015, uh, we documented uh, the first instances of both of those. And so, um, and 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 then it's not only the first for North Carolina, but the first in the in the southeast. And 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 so. Uh, some of the work that we did was a really extensive survey partnering with Auburn University, who has a top-notch fish, fish health and, and fish disease and parasitology lab, where we looked at fish to try to figure out, all right, what's going on with whirling disease? And, and essentially, there's a little microscopic parasite that, that causes it. Um, and so... Um, you know, the, the, the biology of the thing's fascinating because it, it has to have a fish and then one part of its life cycle, it has to use an aquatic worm and it works its way through the water column back on the fish and keeps going. So we, we did a lot of testing looking for the parasite itself. And, you know, we found it. Um, it's not in every water by any means, but it's in the parasite itself is in, is in every major watershed. But, but we're not necessarily seeing it at levels where it's like causing full-blown disease like folks might remember way out west. But when you say clean your gear, I just mm -hmm. want to be specific for our listeners. Um, I think I think this is important. So, you know, you've got a pair of boots that you're wading in. Like, you know, we're wade fishermen. Uh, what, what does that look like? Just when you get home, a lot of us just throw our boots in the truck and, you know, let them dry out till the next time. But you're talking about actually like maybe spraying those with water at the house or – Sure. Is that what that yeah. looks like? Or, yeah, and before you leave, um, before you leave the stream, if you can get back, you know, to the edge of the stream and make sure you get any dirt off of it, any mud off of them, and then come back to the house, you can rinse them off and then leave them out in the sun and let them dry. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the most basic stuff that people can do, and it it's it's uh, just a few steps to take to help help really. Um, you know, try to do our part. And again, the biggie is also is, is, is again, not moving fish around. And, and in North Carolina, we actually require individuals to get stocking permits so that we can know where those fish are going. Cause again, we're wanting to protect those native brook trout. And then two, um, part of that requirement is those fish are certified, you know, free of whirling disease and gill lice. So we don't want to move anything nasty around as well. So, those are, those are other steps. And our staff are more than happy to help folks, uh, you know, navigate the process and it's easy, it's free. And, uh, we'll help direct you on where to go. Super cool. Well, uh, Jake, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to dive in and probably nerd out a lot more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got some really, I don't know, questions that are probably too nerdy for most people, but I've got <laughs> this guy here. So I want to, I want to hear how the, what goes into making some of these decisions in North Carolina. I'm excited. Sounds great. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back with Mr. Jacob Rash of NC Wildlife Resource Commission. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Pigeon River Outfitters. 
Pigeon River Outfitters, the place for your family adventure on the Pigeon River right here in beautiful western North Carolina. Make sure and check them out and take a tube float or a, you can f- take a fishing float, take a uh, raft, whatever you and your family would like to take down the beautiful Pigeon River. So make sure to check Charles and his gang out at PigeonRiverOutfittersNC.com for a wonderful day with your family right here on the Pigeon River. And we're back with Mr. Jacob Rash of the NC Wildlife Resources Commission, the Cold Water Research Coordinator, which, as we have learned, means you get to just do and think about what we think about all the time, which is thinking about trout. So, Jake, uh, we've been talking a little bit about kind of what you do, kind of the questions you guys have been answering as far as research goes. Just love for you to take a minute and talk about just Western North Carolina and, and North Carolina as a whole when it comes to a trout fishery. In your opinion, what makes North Carolina special um, and why we feel like it's elite? And I don't know if you would agree with that or if you would disagree when it comes to trout in general. Well, I, I definitely think it's it's amazing. Um, and and I mentioned before, I feel pretty lucky to be playing a small role in, 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 in this uh, and these resources. But but they 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 are uh, the when you when you think about North Carolina, uh, you know if you think about the whole state, the diversity of the state. Uh, if you think about uh, our mountain region, it's really those diversity of those resources too. Um, the thing about us that that is so special, the volume. Um, there's tons of water. Uh, there are just the total different opportunities that if you've got a particular interest or if you're a generalist, I mean, you can be, you know, at 4,000 feet chasing wild brook trout. You can be down uh, lower waters, hitting a delayed harvest stream, more wild trout fishing. There's float fishing opportunities. Um, You know, a lot of people think about out, out, out west or as these trout destinations, which they are. Um, but you got about four months of, uh, <laughs> of, of good time to, to fish and they're awesome. And I'm going to go myself to them. But the thing about here is you can, you know, pretty much, you know, no matter what time of year that you want to go fish, you can go do it. You got to work harder when it gets warmer to, to find trout where, where it's going to be suitable. But, uh, but, you know, I love to catch smallmouth as well so as it gets warmer i start thinking about smallmouth and floating okay we're gonna get back to trail make sure we hit when we turn this episode off we have a lot (laughs) we have some off the air smallmouth discussions to have but uh we'll do that here in a minute i want to talk if you what you can about let's just go into for some some of our most of our listeners are familiar with north carolina regulations but sure you know we've been doing this now for um for nine years and i can remember as a beginning angler or um trying to learn those trying to learn, you know, where I can use certain lures, where I can do this. And we've told this story before. We both got started catching trout on a spinning rod on, you know, worms and corn. And then we moved on from that. And not that I have any – there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's great for people who – it's just not where I'm at anymore in my fishing career. I just love to go, like, what you were just talking about, 4,000 feet up and chase brook trout. That's what me and Caleb like to do. And we go all these blue lines. But there's – you've got your – your wild trout streams, which are, can you just talk about the different? You got wild trout streams, hatchery supported DH. Can you just kind of go through those? Yeah, yeah. And, Briefly, and I know there's a lot of them. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll do my best. The 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 really thick Reader's Digest version here, but uh, but we caught uh, uh, with that diversity, like I was just mentioning. Um, you know, there's there's a diversity of regulations that we have in place, and First and foremost, one of the things that we really are trying to do is make it as, as simple as possible. And and I know that if if someone's new and coming into the sport, it may seem overwhelming. And we we totally appreciate that feeling and are trying to to take that away. And we we do that by simplifying regulations when we can, trying to do things like the trout page, ncwildlife.org slash trout, to put all the information in one place, um, all those sorts of things. But with it and on the regulatory side of things, uh, what we're what we're doing is is trying to, 
to maintain those opportunities and match the regulation with with the resource. And so we've got several stock trout waters, which are hatchery supported trout waters are one, or delayed harvest trout waters are another. And then we have some other regulations that are are on top of the wild self-sustaining, meaning they're reproducing on their own populations, which are catch and release. Um, a big one's a, a wild trout water classification, and another one's a wild trout with natural bait classification on a couple streams uh, out west. And then sort of the final, there's a catch-all special trout regulation where we've got a resource that's just like so unique that we need to put um, you know, the, its own regulation in place. And right now, uh, Bridgewater tail race below Lake James, that's one of those where you can float and catch big brown trout. We've done tons of research to get to this point and figure out, okay, because of how the water conditions are from year to year, this regulation on it's the best we can do. And the other one is Lake Appalachia, which is, as you know, far west as you can go in North Carolina. It's, it's, it's past Murphy. Um, and so it's, it's on the, it's dam is the border of, of Tennessee and we're growing giant trophy, just really big brown trout in, in that lake. And so that, even that last couple of examples speaks to the diversity of the resources in North Carolina, back to the, the previous question. But, and so what, what we really do is, you know, work with the resource, maybe something where we work with the landowner, um, you know, what there might be interest to allow, to allow um, the public access and, and those sorts of things. And so that, I mean, that, it's a real long answer and it's probably stream specific on many of them, but it's a, it's a combination of what's there, the habitat, the access and uh you know, making sure it's, it's appropriate within our program. Okay. Let's, I'm not going to go too stream Pacific, but I just, I just have a question and I just feel like this is the one chance I get for a guy that can answer it. So you've got a stream like we have right here in our little town of Canton, right? It's a pigeon river mm -hmm. right here by the park is a, is a hatchery su supported stream. Um, you know, it's, it's closed on your, if you guys, you go to the, go to the website that Jacob's telling you about, look up the regulations um, you know, it closes what first Saturday of April. I don't because we fish so high up in the blue lines, we don't keep up with it well. But they're, they're essentially hatchery support is essentially closed in in March, and then the first Saturday in April is what's known as opening day. Open That's day. when they open back there you up. Go. Yep. So that stream has been classified that for uh, I guess many many years before I was ever here. I'm sure, correct. A long time. I don't know specifically, <laughs> but a long time. Okay, so what does it look like? Do you guys ever change a regulation, or would there ever be a circumstance where we say, oh, this stream that was hatch-supported is now going to be DH for 2025 or 2030? Is there, or, or those DH streams that we have that we love, are they set for pretty much forever? I, I just didn't know how that worked. So, um, the... Each year we have a regulatory process where we we look at uh, proposals that are either sent in by the public or staff recommendations, and there's a, a cycle that that vets those to help determine what ultimately goes to public hearing in January, and then uh, our commissioners will will vote on the proposals as to what goes into what goes into to actual actual law. Um, have all the stuff to get in detail on. I, I won't do it on. I won't do it on the regulatory process. That's the that's the least uh, entertaining of them all. But but in, in short, things can change. But when but it's all it's also something to remember. Whether it's this example or or any others, um, again, getting back to that diversity piece, which is a diversity of user groups as well. And when you have a long-standing history with a with a resource, um, it, it it's often very challenging to change that and to change that regulation type. Yeah. And so, typically, right. especially in Appalachia, I love it here. But I mean, I could totally see that. 
it's 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 difficult to change something and 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 one of the things that we're definitely mindful of um are those historical uses and current use patterns and 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 so um whenever we're bringing something new on which which we we haven't done in a in a couple years because our our production facilities are at um at capacity um you know that's when we can do you know a lot of that discussion and vetting and talk about changing um changing or bringing something on at a at a certain classification type and so um and and again it, it all gets back to usage access all those sorts of things that go into it and and that's one where really you know the local biologist that's really familiar with the resource can can work with local partners and anglers and discuss those those potential changes but in short we we do we do make changes from from time to time to for for various reasons so and the, these for those listening we we've talked about this is on our show before but you know we have hatchery supported water here in North Carolina and we have uh, delayed harvest water, which all of those waters are stocked by NC Wildlife. Um, and how many? Ha- I, I know that you know with the recent floods, one of the hatcheries took took a pretty big hit. Correct? Yes, correct. Last August, our biggest hatchery, the the Setzer State Fish Hatchery, there um, outside Brevard, yeah, does some massive <laughs> catastrophic damage. Yeah, when we had massive catastrophic damage, we totally get that right here in Canton. So we yeah. we we felt that full full, full bore. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just on the other side of the ridge, and it came down that pigeon watershed and and that one. So yeah, um, Canton that's un- just unfortunate. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was last last year, um, and the effects of the hatchery were were pretty significant. But uh, but but I will say, and and I just you know, you know, I, I talked earlier about getting to be involved with with trout. Uh, the one thing that I'm I'm, I'm I, I don't do uh, the the growing and the the husbandry piece of it because I I would probably probably kill them all. I'm no good at that. They won't <laughs> they, they won't they won't let me near them. But the people that do are amazing. Yeah. Um, this is absolutely amazing dedicated group of professionals and they bounced back from that flood and we hit we hit our numbers uh by october for the delayed harvest the species ratios were different but Mm -hmm. they they got their numbers and uh they they're they're back that's that's incredible i mean that really is incredible to think about what they went through to be able to get back to that so kind of speaking on that how do you how does the state kind of determine the number of fish in each river that gets stocked? And also I find it very interesting, the species variation. Um, and I mean, is that just a number we pull out of thin air or is there a reason behind that number? Um, I'd just love to know that. Sure. Uh, so, uh, we'll, let's start with the species. Um, we, we stock, our, our target is, uh, 40% rainbow, 40% brook, and 20% brown trout. That's sort of the, the the target, and there's there's long, long-standing um, you know history with that. But part of the reason is it's historically been more challenging to go brown trout. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we we do that. Um, our average fish is about ten and a half inches, and four percent of what we stock is uh, over fourteen inches. And so, I mean, not only you know, are they meeting their, their numbers, but they're putting out high quality fish. And, and I, I didn't mention that before about what's special about the waters in North Carolina, but, um, you know, the, the stock fish are, are, are really nice fish here yeah, as well. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to ask this question. I know you want to finish answering sure. his question, but so if I, if I'm in a DH water in, in October and I, and I catch uh-huh. a, you know, a, a 18, 20 inch fish, which, which we've done, we've seen. It's happened, yeah. Does that mean that you stock that fish this year or is that more than likely a holdover fish from the year before or, or do we kind of not know? Um, it, it depends, but, but chances are that's probably a fish that they've, that they've stocked. Yeah, right. Um, and depending on the year and, uh, 
they're they they may have more of those larger fish than than others but but but, but like i said they don't they don't let me near that place to, to grow them <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll screw that up in a heartbeat so that's uh, they keep me on this side of it but but uh so that's that's the 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 species and the sizes and the numbers to your question how many do we put where hatch or delayed harvest waters um we, we kind of start out thinking 150 fish an acre is is, okay. is our that's standard and we might dial that around a little bit just based on access but that's that's pretty much it uh, and then uh with hatchery supporter waters you know those those vary as well but it, at least um at least 75 fish an acre is, hmm. is 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 a good target for us and and that often gets moved up uh if we've got more access uh meaning access for anglers and access yeah. for stocking which is really important to you, keep, you keep using that word access. I'm going to have to hit that question here in a minute. But uh, let's uh, sure. talk. Let's talk about. I mean, the goal behind that, I'm assuming, is it is a. I mean, it brings people to our state. I mean, we we've been doing this long enough, Caleb and I. You know, those DH waters that they, they get heavily guided, which is great. We have a lot of great relationships with people who guide those waters. We go fish those waters now that we have our raft. We bought our raft back in December, and uh, I mean, it's a great resource for. What, what's the word? The recreational fisherman. Correct. I mean, that's the way I see it, Caleb. Correct. I mean, it, it's 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 a fun place to catch fish. That's where we learn to catch trout, right here up the river from where we live. Yeah, and and one of the 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 last surveys we did of, of anglers, um, and as part of kind of the research that that we do, back and looked at people fishing in 2014. So it's getting some age on it, but back then, um, you know, the our trout waters, just the waters we manage, not not the Smokies or or, mm -hmm. or Eastern Bay and Cherokee, but our waters generated over three hundred eighty-three million dollars wow. a year for the state's economy, and that's people here fishing, people coming from Eastern North Carolina, the Piedmont, Georgia, out of state, all that. So you're right; it's these are big destination fisheries and and provide a lot of local and state level and it, economic and north carolina wildlife's done a great it's so simple i think to get a license. I, i've gotten license from other states going on trips and stuff i just think you guys have done a great job it's very simple for our out-of-state anglers we just had some cousins up um a couple weeks ago from from alabama they were able to get their license on their phone you know real quick access bada bing bada boom we're in the water and i just think that's a great testament to what nc wildlife is doing well, definitely appreciate the kind words and, 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 and hopefully it's, it's easy for folks, um, want to make it accessible and enjoyable and, and then to keep doing it. And, and again, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but, but ncwildlife.org slash trout is kind of, you know, pick up a license there, learn, you know, there's interactive maps, there's the stocking info, yeah. uh, you know, the nuisance species stuff and, and, even some more things, even uh, even a you know pretty cool hatch chart that that we're it's proud of. It's a bookmark on my phone. Up. It's a very cool hatch chart. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we we have it saved to check it, but check back on every now and then for sure. Uh, I, go ahead. I think it, I think it works. You can tell y'all tell me if it doesn't, but we we tried to make it as as basic as it as it needed to be, and uh, it should catch fish. I think it works very well if you know what you're doing for sure. If you know how to catch fish. Um, one question before we get off the regulations, and then then I'd love to just kind of learn a little bit more from you about trout in general. Okay. I would love to know where the delayed harvest, I and maybe you know this, the, just the history behind the delayed harvest program, because that's just very interesting, in my opinion, of where that regulation kind of even came from and why they started doing that. Instead of just keeping it hatchery supported, um, what was the whole premise and idea? Because it sounds like they're more densely populated in DH waters. Uh, you were saying that a minute ago? Yeah, with the concept of it sort of being the best of both worlds, where there's a period of catch and release, and 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 then there's uh, you know a period of harvest because yeah. most of those waters it's going to warm up and and it's not going to be trout water year round. It's yeah. sort of a seasonal thing, and so uh, that that um, the first four 
were established back in 1992. Okay. And, um, and I want to say one of the first states that had that was uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so, um, they kind of took know, it from there. Yeah, there's there's no you know monopoly on good ideas. So you know. <laughs> sure. so if it was working, I think they they saw that and 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 that same time frame in '92 was kind of a kind of a big overhaul in the regulation structure. And mm. at the time, they they brought that in then. And it's and it's you know as y'all noted, it's it's very popular. And, yeah, uh, it's, it does really well. Yep. And, and I think it makes a lot of sense. That I think that's one of the things Josh was kind of getting at earlier is I, there's some there's some strains we would love to see that in other places, but that's because we're fly fishermen. So, but we understand yeah. the reason not sure. to as well. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I understand the history of what you're saying. Yeah, you know, absolutely. When my great-grandfather's grandfather, grandfather has gone here on opening day and caught fish for dinner that night, which which we appreciate, and we think that's part of our heritage here in the mountains. Yeah. Um, I think – People like me and Caleb are always going to say, you know, we wish we could catch those fish year-round. They would always just be there. Um, it's just because we just want to keep catching fish, probably what yeah. we're more, you know, envious of. But uh, you said 1992. That's funny. You know, that was the River Runs Through It movie. That's when fly fishing took off everywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> that was when uh, that happened. But um, huh. one thing I wanted to – you talked about regulations, and um, I know in some Facebook groups we're in and some just some other people we talk to, I, I know that – in the times we live in right now, everybody is, is short-staffed. I know it's difficult on you folks. What's the best way for anglers to, hey, man, I was at my favorite wild trout stream, and there was this dude fishing with, you know, worms and corn and, you know, had a cooler full of 20 fish. I mean, what's a – because that's it's, – it's, to me, it's always been like people have always said, well, why don't they just have more, you know, uh, uh, management? I'm like, man, you got to understand where I'm fishing. I'm – I'm 40 minutes from sometimes a road. There, there's no way that they can manage all that. We're just too big of a fishery. So, so as an angler, when I see that, you know, without getting in a fist fight on the side of the river, there, what are some options for, for anglers who are really trying to protect these resources? Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, you definitely, you definitely don't want to get in the fish, the, the fish, fist fight. It ain't worth, <laughs> it ain't worth that. Worth it. but No, it's uh, not. <laughs> but uh what i what i always urge people to do is to report it even if you can't do it when you're there because a lot of times we don't have cell coverage yeah. where we're at when you get out um calling in to the violation hotline and um and that's all taken very seriously and and those reports come in the information is logged you know, and, and then it may be something that they can look for, ultimately make a case on. Cause like you said, it's, 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 it's hard for them, the enforcement officers to be everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of responsibilities, but they take them all extremely seriously and, and, and gathering that kind of information, you know, is, is something that, that gets shared and, and is appreciated. So it may not be instantaneous just because of logistics, but and you know, some people just don't thing to let them know. I think with your website and we try to do this with, with our content and even on our uh, social media pages, some people just don't know. I, I know yeah. There are some people out there that are doing it illegally, but, but some people are just unaware. Like we've run into people before, like, Hey, you're not allowed to have that, you know, treble hook this time of the year on this delayed harvest stream. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. Like they're throwing fish back, but they don't understand. They just yeah. literally don't know. And so just to educate, sometimes it just, if you're friendly out there, just say, Hey, do you know you can't be doing that? And then if they want to fight, you walk off. <laughs> but you know, if they're just like, well, I didn't know that. Um, it, it goes a long way yeah. just to try to say, Hey, we're yeah, trying to, I usually try to approach it of, Hey, I'm trying to save you from a fine. If a guy walks up here, so <laughs> right. uh, yeah. you, you might want to stop doing that. Um, tried to help you out. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, and and that's you know we 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 try to keep signs up, yeah, but it's hard. Uh, it's hard. They're they're a a a popular a popular souvenir. So we get crafty and ways to to keep them up, but uh, it's it's tough. So uh, yeah, and, and and hopefully too we can we can continue to work on how we're sharing information and and help as many folks be prepared as possible before they go out there. For sure. Well, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to change directions a little bit now because Jacob, you're a guy who spends your days hanging around trout. 
I feel like you have, as a guy who's worked with from from the scientific side of things and the research side of things, how has that affected you when it comes to being an angler? Like, what have you learned about native brook trout? Yeah, we wait till the end to get to the good stuff. So <laughs> you should have stuck around, folks. And now you're gonna learn how to catch some trout, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and we can expert stick, angler here. We can stick straight to native brook trout. Um, we can talk about all three species that we have here. Uh, I'd love to just know, though. I mean, I'm sure it has affected how you fish. Yeah, and and I'm not an expert, um, but it's totally. It, it has affected how I fish. And, um, I think it's given me, uh, for one, a lot more patience. Um, uh, I, I think about all the time, you know, walking up to a stream and, and before we sample, you know, just like any angler would you'd be like, ah, yeah, I don't know, maybe something here, maybe not looks looks kind of low in on my optimism scale. But then when we sample, you know, you're surprised and I'm always surprised. And, um, and the kind of perception versus reality of what's out there. If I'm fishing and having like a really crummy day and not catching stuff, well, you know, I'm confident that it's, it's just something else going on. Uh, and a lot of times and a lot of places because because uh, well, one I might know what's there <laughs> from yeah. from the work we can be kind of humbling. It's like oh my gosh, I know there's fish here and now I'm not able to catch them. <laughs> oh yeah, totally humbling. Yeah, yeah, it's it puts it all in perspective. Like I, you know, I literally know there's you know 15 fish in the next 50 50 feet because we were here a couple weeks ago maybe, but but uh, but I I. It's more about, um, you know, time of year and habitat selection, where fish are and when we're sampling, it kind of gets perspective. We've got some super cool underwater footage that, that we're going to be rolling out over the next couple months that really shows uh, behavior, particularly in feeding lanes, seeing how they're hanging out and, and looking up to, to eat. But, um, but, but in general, the way it's probably affected me is, is getting a better sense of, you know, seeing these waters and seeing these fish populations, kind of getting a sense for what's really out there and, and, and where, uh, and where across the, the landscape. It's, you know, it's not, it, it's not any fun to go somewhere that we've sampled, um, cause you know, that's, I, I, I just, that's not me, but, but what, because I've had a chance to see what's there and yeah. to see the fish. And so I, I like to explore and hit other, other, other places for sure. But, uh, but I, I don't know. I feel pretty lucky to, to be able to have gone to some really cool places so you, uh, in my life. You said habitat time of year. Uh, you mentioned a couple things. Let, let's stick to just our native brook trout that we have here. What's well, something sure. that, that would be good for anglers to know? You know, just thinking about like that brook trout's life cycle, what it does throughout the year. You were talking about behavior. You know, yeah. What, what is it that probably a lot of people don't know about that species, but uh, would be beneficial? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, most most trout anglers know uh, to be you know stealthy and quiet and and not make as and, and be as as invisible as you can to make those those presentations but uh you know you, they're they're going to be in the pools um which in these big stair step systems and and but it's still worth at times to to cast you know at the runs at the tail end of those pools just to see if if anybody's hanging out back there or and particularly if you're working your way kind of up the pool if you can making making those those delicate cast and 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 presentations and so um you know for me that's you know that's that's one thing and then you know if you want to think about time of year when they hit the fall with those spawning colors yeah i mean that's as pretty as it gets it's hard to 
think of another fish that's that's really prettier. Um, there's not. We're just going to be biased and say there's not. We we here it's in North our, Carolina can just say, sorry, go. folks, we have the prettiest fish in the country. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're awesome. And so that time of year, I love to get out and uh, and see them. Um, and and so that's that's a that's another thing that uh, you know folks probably know, but you know they may they may not be be totally aware uh, of uh, you know the spawning coloration and and that sort of thing. But we got one more question about um, North Carolina fishery, and then we want to switch gears to end this with uh, with some stuff that we always do on our podcast. But what would you say as as a biologist and having that title for a while now? What is the biggest threat to to our watershed and, and our waters here in North Carolina moving forward? I know you've said some things we can do, obviously, to protect fish, but do we have big threats that we need to yeah. be aware of? Loss of habitat, loss of habitat, mm-hmm. and and that's that's one, two, and three. Um, and and because if it lives in the water, it's got a delicate life history to begin with, and and you know there was a lot of a lot of disturbance back in the late 1800s and and moving forward with really intensive you know uh, land use practices um that's what happened to a lot of the brook trout initially got wiped out then and of course browns and rainbows moving in but moving forward no matter what happens or 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 what else changes um these these fish need their habitat as close to intact and healthy as possible and and for me that's the thing that that i think is is probably most important as we think about going forward and because if we if we can maintain the places for them to live and to be successful then they've got a puncher's chance i mean they've lasted hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years and and they've done that because they've (laughs) grown up in these in these local habitats and and i and i think about it this way too um and when you're talking about trout habitat if you can get that right that's flowing downstream to something else and that's flowing downstream to to often people that that need clean water as well and so trout conservation i mean this is kind of corny but it totally flows downstream and so working to help trout making sure they're healthy and the places they live are healthy that's nothing but positive for for what's there and what's and what's downstream and so um that's something that's big for us and and we're actually doing a lot of work and 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 again if folks visit ncwildlife.org there's actually a a brook trout license plate that if you're in north carolina you can you can buy to help support some of those efforts so um you know habitat's number number one all right, man. So I think we've covered most of the, the North Carolina. Well, not we probably. I could have probably went a little nerdier and probably a little more rabbit holeish, but I know probably most of our listeners would just kind of get tired of that. But we are dads on the fly, man, and we talk all the time about our on our episodes. We like to give all of our guests a chance. And before the episode started, we had some time to to talk off air about um, your family guy, and you have a, a son that you. Um, obviously get to spend some time with out in the outdoors but he's also growing up and kind of in that middle school age which is what I teach so uh, I got all your I I see that every day but uh just just talk a little (laughs) bit about how how important it is for you just just to be a dad in in your daily life and you know how how just you know we talk all the time how our kids are just the world to us and I wanted you to give that give you that chance before we before we wrap this up well I I appreciate that yeah I mean my family's what's what's important and and that's that's how i got into this with my family and then getting into fisheries and a fish biologist i love the fish and 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 i think about all the time uh, and i'm going to answer your question i promise but but i'm but it there's something about fishing that the the social nature of it being with your friends being Mm -hmm. with your family and as a young biologist, um, like I, that's what I, I, I wanted to make sure that they were these opportunities for people into the into the future. And that's what that's absolutely what really drove me and still does drive me and, and, and doing doing things for the for the fish motivates me as, as well. But I think about, you know, my experiences going fishing with my 
my dad and my family and and then taking my son and, and hearing other people's stories about what fishing means to them. I mean, there are a lot of people who can't afford to do a lot of a lot of other things. Like fishing's their their outlet that that they got time and ability to go do and and and, and some people defend depend on these things to eat, right? Yeah. And so it it's it's uh it runs the spectrum and and uh man when you hear the best parts of my job are are you know well restoring a brook trout population bringing fish back to where they should be and then hearing these stories and hearing personal stories about what fishing means to somebody else i mean it it, it just never gets old and that that's what gets me up and so you know my son yeah he said he's he's getting in those middle school years and and we'll we'll get him out and he uh i've i've probably uh i've probably been more annoying with uh with fishing than (laughs) than 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 he wants but uh but no matter you know if we go or not i know you know it's inherently part of his life because that's kind of well, if he's in middle school, I'm sure you're only right about once every hundred times anyway. I mean, if that, I teach these middle school kids all day long, so I, I know exactly how that goes. He, he did tell me I was cool the other day, so I'll take that. Oh, then you're, you're doing well. But, <laughs> that was great. but, but that, that went away. I then, I then went on about something else, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but it's, uh, you know, for me personally, um, you know, the connection with nature, getting outside, being in the water. And, you know, those are, I, 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 I'll go by myself. I don't like to, but I, I will. And, uh, I'd rather go with somebody else. And, and again, it's, you know, we'll catch fish, but it ain't about that. It's, it's about that, that connection and, and socialization piece. And, and so, yeah. I don't know. That's a long rambling answer because I, I, I could go a week on that answer, but I'll, I'll stop rambling. For sure. Well, I, I just want to say, I know Caleb wants to say a couple things before we close, but f- from my viewpoint, I, uh, I went a long time without being an angler, not being a fisherman. You know, we grew up with my dad. Um, I, I did the Harvard steak, which we've mentioned on this podcast before of, Living and going to Appalachian State and not fly fishing, I know. Don't throw things at me across the screen. Yeah, look at his eyes. I know. I didn't. I didn't get into it until uh, till later. And now we go back to Banner Elk every year. Go to Boone. I've got a great fly shop up there. We're friends with and love that area and love to fish it. But uh, I, I am very. I know that I'm sure you guys probably just like anybody else gets your fair share of fair share of, of hate mail or bad comments or what you guys are doing, but. But I want to say for somebody who's spent his entire fly fishing career fishing in North Carolina, I'm very proud of what North Carolina wildlife does to get people into the sport and also to protect a lot of the water, the blue line waters that I still like to go fish. Um, and it's something that me and Caleb have said as we've entered into year two of our podcast and, and we do start to have a follow, uh, you know, a following of listeners and, and an audience that, that we want to just partner with more anything that we can ever do on our end to help NC wildlife. We, we want to be a part of that. We want to protect these fisheries. We want to see, as you said, the future for people to keep catching. And we tell people all the time, man, we were in, we were in uh, Wyoming on a trip with our, with our raft company and say, look, I mean, this is great. And these big rivers are fun, but you know, you come, come trick one of these native brook trout on a dry fly in October. And, and it, it's, it, it's not as big as this fish, but it, it, it'll change your, change the way you view things. And so I, I just want to say, thanks, man. First for being on the show, but also for just what you do for, the fisheries in North Carolina. Well, well, I appreciate those kind words. I mean, I'm, I'm just a tiny part of, of a much bigger group of, 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 uh, people in an organization. And, uh, you know, we're, yeah, it's, it's, it's fortunate. And, and we hear from folks, but if, you know, if some, if somebody's calling me or emailing me, that means they're passionate and they care. And, uh, so, uh, that's fine. And we'll, we'll talk about it and, our folks are accessible and yeah, as, uh, people are listening and got questions and get them to you, uh, you know, we'll, I'll be glad to, I'm, a, you know how to find me. So I'm, I'm always a resource. So look me up. Be glad to, to be there. 
Jay, we can't appreciate it enough. Thank you for your time. Um, I, again, just want to go kind of reiterate what Joshua just said. You just and mentioned it a little while ago. Part of the reason why you do what you do is uh, you see the connection that gets made out on the river. Uh, I mean, I know that's helped a lot with mine and Joshua's relationship. Uh, it's already – my kids are still young, six and three. It's already making an impact on my relationship with them. Uh, matter of fact, this afternoon uh, before we recorded this podcast, we were out on the river together. And um, – and a little hatchery supported water just goofing off. They were probably splashing and scaring more fish than we were fishing, but it was a, an opportunity for us to be outside together and enjoy time together. And so um, that's a part of what you guys do there at NC Wildlife, so I'm very grateful for what all they're doing. Uh, the best place to go find out more information, uh, get more, ncwildlife.org, ncwildlife.org slash trout to get specific trout information. Is that all correct? Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, Jacob, thank you, man. Thank you. I really appreciate y'all having me and, and thanks so much for being willing to, to chat. I enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. Thanks for all you've taught us. And uh, I'm sure we could go deeper dive. We might have to have you back again sometime. We might, we might have to, I, I, I think there might be some more. Well, I think we might have to just get on the water together. That sounds even better. That's what I think would be fun. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a day out on the water and we could learn and that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Uh, that works. I'll take it. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening to our interview with Mr. Jacob Brash of NC Wildlife. And until next time, tight lines. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through faith, family, and fishing all on the fly. Make sure to check us out at dadsonthefly.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dads on the Fly. Shoot us a message as we always love hearing from you all. If you'd like to check out any Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. And as always, if you can, leave us a rating or review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.